So, Kaishan, given that, you know, you talked about growing up in China, this is one of the sort of important aspects of your own cultural identity. Um, and, and then having lived in um, abroad, and in particular in the U.S. now for a number of years, would you say that you view China differently now than you maybe did in the past? Yeah, very much so. Even though I spent 30 years in China and U.S. only 10 years, I think these past 10 years have been really transformative experience for me through my job, through my day-to-day -day interaction with professionals and everyday people. Um, I feel like my learning and knowledge about my own homeland, China, is getting very complex and deeper and nuanced now. Hmm. And Right, I feel like it's more balanced. And sometimes I reflect on how I would, why and how I would, will view China differently. And I think it really is very obviously reflected in my teaching. So to give you an example, I teach a course called Foreign Culture and Civilization class. It's an introductory class to talk about different topics in China. So my job was to showcase to students introduction of many aspects, but engage students to do more research, to learn more in their major. So if I introduce technology for students in computer science, they may do more research to learn more about that. I'm not an expert, but I hope to be an ambassador and messenger to pass information. So I remember teaching, teaching this course six, five, six years ago. I was so excited. That was when I, I was still having this great view of China. I was mm. so excited to showcase the brilliant 5,000 years of history to China, all these historical big things. So now thinking about that, I feel like I was teaching a lot of the big sea culture, like the architecture, literature, all these great things. And I found out the students were enjoying it, but they were not challenged, and I was not challenged either. I feel like this information was Googleable. If they could find it online, why do they want me there to show a different perspective scopefully? So I was thinking, well, maybe I don't see China in a more critical way. I should be develop more holistic view of China. Hmm. So I adjusted and learned more research, read more newspaper and also read more media, media reports that may not be popular in China. And then the second year or the third year when I taught this course again, I purposefully um, set aside time for students to do Google and Google some superficial knowledge. But in class, we discussed many controversial issues, issues that students are caring about, uh, government governance or um, education. So in that class, we the American or local student, non-Chinese students really enjoyed that because they had a chance to discuss with me. They had a chance to hear both good and the positive and neg negative side of China. Hmm. But at the end of the class, I got pushed back from my own Chinese fellow students who are international students taking this class. And they approached me and said, Professor Kong, I never knew about this information, but I'm worried that if you talk about the negative sides of China, it, hurt, it may hurt our feelings because we come from China, we're so proud of China. Mm -hmm. And American students may develop this very negative view of China. So there was a wake-up moment for myself to look at my teaching, my pedagogy, and the materials I present. Am I going from one extreme 
to showcase the extremely positive side of China to extremely negative side of China? And how can I reach a balance to cover and create this constructive learning moment to showcase both sides of the coin? And so since then, getting feedback from local students and Chinese students, I adapted the information I present. I bring in more different perspectives. And one really useful pedagogy I used since then was to engage guest speakers from China. Hmm. Because I feel like as much as I want to strike a balance, I still have my own bias, maybe unnoticed bias. But if I can bring in people from China or all around the world who have significant experience with China, they may diversify the perspectives I present. And I also always constantly remind my students and myself that learning culture is like a scale. Like when you compare different cultures, it's like a scale that you want to balance. Okay, one mm. culture may put more focus on one thing, the other culture may put emphasis on the other. They may not be good or bad, but they reflect the different values. So I feel since engaging uh, guest speakers from different parts of China and outside China, the class has become so much more constructive and dynamic, mm. and students get to get challenged, but at the same time, they develop empathy. So there was one example, and through this process, my professional teaching, I feel, excuse me, I feel like my view of China is getting more layered as well. Hmm. Now that's really fascinating to to hear about your your own changing perceptions of the place where you grew up through the lens of your teaching, and 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 seeing that reflected in both your U.S. students and also your Chinese students. Um, yes. What a what an what an interesting sort of um, process to reflect on 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 your on your home country on the place on the place where you were raised um, so with that perspective of a bit of a distance from 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 China in some regards you know what would you point to as some of the um, cultural values that you, that that you, you can see now are perhaps um, important for for folks um, who grew up in China who are I'm a part of the, the Chinese um, cultural context. I feel like actually the more I interact cross-culturally, I feel like many of the values are actually shared, but the way we practice may be different. Hmm. So for instance, I remember coming to the U.S. the first year, and I found, I found a little bit surprised when strangers on the street nodding head to me, smiling, or store cashiers asking me how my day was. And I believe many international students in the U.S. or maybe Midwest in the U.S. Mm. may have similar experience because of the friendliness. And they may not necessarily want to be good friends with you, but they are friendly to show politeness. Mm. And while in China we don't see many strangers nodding head to you, I think we also value trust, value friendship, but it takes more time for people to show that. It's not a superficial way. I think um, in Chinese we have a word guanxi connection. Mm. Unfortunately, now the word guanxi has been used more in the negative way to talk about network and associated with corruption. But being in the U.S. long enough, I feel that guanxi basically means networking, and that's also very important in the U.S. Mm. Just the way we build network is quite different. Like the U.S., you greet each other, 
but in China, we may not greet each other, but if we have significant and profound interaction, once it takes more time to build a trust, the friendship lasts a long time. Mm -hmm. So I think both cultures valuing humanity, valuing friendship and being nice, being kind to people is the same. And so I find that very fascinating and I like it a lot. Um, so the professional side, I find the teacher-student relationship in the U.S. also can be quite different and superficially from China. Hmm. And here, teacher-students are very professional. And like my students can challenge me in class because they see that engaging the professor, engaging themselves in an intellectual or sometimes contested conversation is showing respect of the knowledge. Hmm. Versus in China, you may not see so much about students challenging the professor, but that's, that does not mean that students do not value intellectual conversation. I think the way they value it is to take in what the professor has to share. They may go back to process. They may use different way to show the discussion through writing or through a private conversation. They also value intellectual conversation, but probably not so much in public. Having hmm. a contention uh, conversation in public versus in the US, it's okay to have a public debate. So in my personal life and in my professional life, I see many values actually share the same, but we may have different practices. Well, that, those are really interesting examples, and it, and it ties in with what you were just saying a minute ago about the, the complexity and the nuance of um, the differences and the similarities between um, you know, Chinese and U.S. cultural contexts. Um, so one thing you mentioned, Kaishan, uh, when you were just chatting uh, or just sharing was um, this idea of this element of time. And, and, I, and I think I heard you say um, that that might work a little bit differently in, in China than in the U.S. in general. Can you talk a little bit more about the function of time when it comes to relationship building? Right. Like I said, um, I feel like both cultures value building trust, building friendship. But if we tie that to the model that you have, looking at individual, our intercultural approach, their intercultural approach. So I think for the Chinese way for building friendship, it's probably to some degree, it may reflect a long-term oriented that spectrum. Mm. Like we want to build friendship, but it's not overnight. We build it in the long term. Versus in the U.S. culture, where maybe efficiency is valued in our everyday life, it could be to some degree reflect a short-term oriented. Hmm. So that that could be one way to interpret. Well, that's that's really interesting. So um, you shared the example before of of for yourself or for um, international students um, coming to the U.S. Maybe particularly, as you said, to the Midwest. You know having these kinds of small talk conversations where uh, Americans can seem, you know, very friendly, um, very quickly in, in, in a relationship. And I'm wondering if you can speak to either from your own experience or maybe from um, your, some of your Chinese students or um, Chinese colleagues, you know, what is, what is the, the sort of the, the cognitive and emotional response that can come, that can happen for somebody that isn't used to that style of interacting um, when you don't know someone very well? I mean, what are the kinds of thoughts that might go through your head and what are some of the feelings that might come up 
in those kinds of moments? Yeah, I think that's a very good question. Like, um, that's uh, both culture. I can see myself uh, international <laughs> students here. When people ask them, how's the weather? Like, for example, living in Minnesota, I learned that small talk very much relates to the weather. So the first time when I arrived, people asked me, oh, well, good weather, right? Oh, I hope the weather will cooperate. And how's the weather? I'll be like, why do you care about weather so much? <laughs> so, and I may... I may be very confused, but at the same time, I think it's important to tie culture with everyday life, so many aspects. Mm. So living here with the snow seasons all the time, asking about weather is a good way to show care, like watch mm. the weather, drive carefully. So I, if I sit back and think about that, I may understand why people ask questions like that. And versus American colleagues in China, when Chinese people like for instance, many Chinese teachers in the U.S. And when they firstly arrived, they see students wearing short sleeves, uh, short sleeve t-shirts in the winter. This mm. happens a lot because we train Chinese teachers in the U.S. And many Chinese teachers will share this example. If they see a young student wearing short sleeve t-shirt in the winter, they may say, oh, you catch a cold. Quickly put on your jacket, aren't you cold? Mm. And sometimes they will receive pushback from students and students will say, okay, I'm okay. Why Why do you care? It's not your business. And why do you think I'll catch a cold? So I think if students have that, re have that response without thinking why the teacher would give a comment like that, that could be like, oh, that's strange. It's easy to label a culture with like strange, weird. They are, they are bad or they don't care or they're indifferent. Mm. But if you can sit back to think about why or do some research you will find that in china grow, going through this starvation going through poverty of course health having good food having enough to eat having a good body is the foundation for you to build your life or something so in china when you have the small talk probably you talk about health weather but not, not so much about directly about the weather but mm -hmm. uh, are you having a cold or are you feeling okay do you have enough to eat so i think even something as small as the small talk, I think if people can sit back, they can understand better rather than just push back or totally shut down. And I also remember, I, I listened to one of your episodes about emotionally charged hmm. cultural communication. You were talking about the example with a, a group of professionals in the hotel when hmm. two gentlemen were placed in one room. And the reflection or the reaction from these two gentlemen emotionally and then you as your own identity. And I think it's important when we have the intercultural communication between individuals rather than, I mean, in addition to thinking about how we feel, reflect on how we feel, I think it's also very important for us to be mindful of how other people feel. Hmm. If sometimes you feel that you are being judged by another culture, I think it's important for you to calm down and be mindful to think about could what I say sometimes make other people feel the same. So if hmm. we can really put ourselves in other people's shoes, we may become more empathetic. And just like uh, Anais Ning said that we don't see things as they are, we see things as we are. So it's so easy for us to think, oh, why do they look at me like that? But it's okay for us to think about, oh, why do I look at them like that? Why do I interpret the meaning this way? 
I think when we live in a culture, it's like a fish breathing in the water. You don't realize、mm-hmm. it's different unless you are out of the fish bowl. So I think emotionally, and、um, if you are able to, like, be mindful in communication, be cognizant to do research, and purposefully adapt your behavior. So if you can engage cognitive, emotional, and behavioral components, I think it would. Over time, improve and enhance intercultural communication. Oh, that that's that that's really really interesting,、uh, and I'm really glad you brought up this whole this whole the role of judgment and the fact that as human beings, sadly, we we tend to leap to judgment when we're interacting with somebody who thinks or behaves in a way that we don't understand.、Um, And as you said, that there can be real emotional impacts for for people in those interactions when they when they feel judged or misunderstood.、Um, and so, just reminding ourselves that although we might have judgments that pop into our head, to try to critically examine and reflect on those、um, before we we act on those judgments or we act on those assumptions. So,、um, and I think it's particularly interesting, Kaishan, talking to you as somebody who. Um, knows both the Chinese and the U.S. cultural context so well, and you have had to, as an individual, figure out how to how to adapt and and to shift between those two cultures. And so your your wisdom, the things that you've learned and observed, are so valuable for all of us to think about, regardless of what our cultural identities might be,、um, and and you know whatever cultural context we might be trying to figure out or understand better. Um, so thank you so much for those insights. Thank you, thank you, and I'm sure I <laughs> I sound like I know what I'm saying, but <laughs> every day I'm still learning, and I think being mindful is important. And also, I feel privileged to be a language and culture teacher. I not only live through that, I need to constantly think about how I can、mm. deliver a message too. And yeah, so. If I may tell you, so as a language professor, language teacher, sometimes we hear teachers saying that culture is difficult to teach. Like culture is so complex.、Mm. How can I fit culture with a within a fifty minutes language class while I have so much to accomplish? So I, as in our field, I find very helpful to use some of the frameworks that our field is widely adopting. Like so, for the American Council on Teaching of Foreign Languages (EXPO), we call they have a very useful framework for language and culture professors teaching educators、hmm. and talking about how do we unpack culture, such a cons-、uh, abstract concept. We can unpack culture in three P: products, practices, and perspectives. So I think. When we find something very difficult, overwhelming for us to understand, can we also adopt this three P framework to think about? Okay, the person practices this way, and the person shows this product, or person wears this costume or this clothes, this product. What are some of the underlying perspectives instead of jumping on to judge that? Oh, that behavior is very weird, or that behavior is so rude. So I think it's very important for us to unpack a little bit deep, push ourselves a little bit deeper to dig down, dig out the perspectives. So I myself find this framework very helpful in directing my everyday interaction and my teaching. No, thank you for mentioning that that framework and 
Um, Kaishan recently shared that with me. I was not familiar with this particular framework, and it's it's really interesting, both in the context of of you know teaching language and culture, but also as 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 you just said, more more broadly speaking. So I will share um, a link uh, to to that model so that listeners to the podcast can check that out and think about how that framework might be similar to or different from um, the ICCI framework. Um, I think there's some interesting ways in which they they kind of speak to each other and some ways in which they they are they are distinct from each other as well. So um, Kashan, I want to thank you so much for your time. This conversation has been really interesting and I'm sure people will find it very interesting to listen to. Um, as with the other episodes of the podcast, if any listeners have questions or comments, um, you can email those to the email address for the website, which is iccimodel at gmail.com. Um, you should also be able to comment directly um, once the episode is posted on the website. Um, I'm sure both Kashan and I would welcome any insights or thoughts or questions that you have. And uh, Kashan, do you have any closing thoughts or, or reflections you'd like to share? I would just like to thank you for giving me this opportunity to share some of the small but significant examples in my life in, and also in my profession. I also really admire what you do now, Matthew, for creating the model, ICCI model. We really need more professionals to contribute their wisdom, knowledge, experience to make culture more nuances, to discover more nuances to people and reduce any extreme views and biases. So thank you. Thank you for the opportunity and what you do. Oh, well, thank you, Kaishan. It's been a joy to, to talk with you. And I'm sure we will, uh, we will talk soon and um, hope you have a great weekend. Thank you so much. Okay, take care. Okay.